So we're uh, in this series, aren't we, on, uh, which was called Rebuilders, and it feels very timely. We're looking at how do we rebuild society, and uh, particularly thinking about coronavirus and the changes that's brought, and obviously the awareness of racial injustice that's really come up in the last few weeks. But it, this is always the, the, the call on, on those who follow Christ, who follow Jesus, is to join with him in seeing his, his, his design, his will, his purposes come on earth as they are in heaven. And so we've been tracking on this journey called Rebuilders. And, and so this is our last week on this theme. And if you remember, those of you who, who, who are maybe just joining us now, if you'd like to catch up, we've got our talks on our website as podcasts or they're on Facebook as videos if you prefer that style. Um, but we started off, we did three weeks looking at purpose, recognising that like Nehemiah, this man in the Old Testament 400 years before Jesus came, uh, uh, recognising that just like each of us has been created with a purpose, a design, and we call it original design that God has given to each of us. And, and the journey of following Jesus is stepping into that design. So we looked at, spent three weeks on purpose, and then we looked at um, uh, the enemy, that, uh, the fact that we live in a two-realm world where there's a, a spiritual dynamic to life. And, uh, but then we have authority over that spiritual dynamic. Then we looked at strongholds, and, and I think we meant repentance first, looking at repentance as, as, as the, the gateway to us, um, connecting with what Jesus did on the cross in his death and his resurrection. We can take hold of that in everyday life through repentance. Um, and then we looked at strongholds last week, with sort of substantial um, areas of our life uh, where, where, the, where the enemy is preventing us from living in the fullness of the, of the Jesus life. And, and this week... Um, it's the final one on this series. The theme is really about, um, in light of all of that, um, in light of knowing who we are, in light of working on our stuff and, and, and breaking free from uh, the stuff that holds us back and isn't according to God's design, we are in this extraordinary position as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to join with him in bringing his life to earth. And so this is really the exciting posture of the, of the church bringing life, the Christ, us as Christians bringing life wherever we go, in the name of Jesus, with the power of Jesus, and in his authority. And so in our, we do, we've been doing these follow-up emails for those of you who are on the Rebuilders midweek course with us as well. And we'll be digging into some of those, um, those themes and some of those things about speaking words of life, about, around being a blessing, about being a people who are unoffendable. We'll be, we'll be um, digging into some of those this week in that email. Um, and Alice is going to speak now. And she, in, in our Nehemiah series, we're going back to chapter 5, having seen Nehemiah rebuild the walls. And together with the people of Israel and rebuild society there, they realise, having completed the work, that they've forgotten something crucial. And, um, and Alice is going to take us back into that now um, as we look at Nehemiah chapter 5. So we just bless Alice as she speaks. And Lord, we, we just say that we're, we're here and we're hungry. We're like fields that are ready to receive some good seed and some good rain. Please feed us and strengthen us today. Amen. Hi everyone, lovely to join you today. We're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 5, so I'm going to read it out to start with. This occurs right in the middle of Nehemiah rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. He's in a very prominent position at the heart of the Persian Empire and at great personal cost when he hears about the broken walls of Jerusalem, which he has never been to. He's grown up in the diaspora. He's grown up in in the heart of Persia. He has a a call from God to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild walls around the city. And there's this extraordinary momentum and favour, and then there are battles because people are opposing it and so on. But right in the middle of this rebuilding, 
we come to chapter 5, there is an outcry and everything stops to pay attention to this outcry. We've heard about demonic distractions, lies the enemy might put into through other people through Nehemiah, to Nehemiah's thinking to stop him building the wall. And we hear about that in our own lives, distractions that might come in from us fulfilling our purpose. But here we're going to pay attention to divine interruption, where the Spirit of God touches on something in the middle of our momentum, in the middle of our God-given projects and destinies, and brings a divine interruption. And we see Nehemiah is a role model leader on how to lead a people through paying attention to that divine interruption. So there are some words we're going to read out. We're going to read out chapter 5 together now, Nehemiah chapter 5. And I want you to pay attention to these words. Outcry. That's from the Hebrew saka or zaka. And it can also be translated cry, outcry, wailing, cries of distress, lament, lamentations, shouts in the Hebrew Bible. There's a word powerless, very angry. What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of God? They lorded it over. Out of reverence for God, I didn't act like that. There are some phrases, and as we read through Nehemiah 5 now, let's pay attention to those phrases and ask the Spirit of God to bring to life what he's saying now, what the Spirit is now saying to the churches. Nehemiah 5. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have brought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. The history of the people of Israel are they were delivered from slavery in Egypt. They were a free people. And then they went into slavery in Babylon. Under Persia, they were released from slavery. And Nehemiah sees that they're still enslaving one another, even though a history is about being delivered from slavery. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the approach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves and houses, and also the interest you are charging them. 
1% of the money, grain, new wine and olive oil. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who doesn't keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lauded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep and some poultry were prepared for me, and every ten days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor, because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favour, my God, for all I have done for these people. Today, what I'm going to talk about is is the exciting invitation to not just a personal repentance, but a cultural repentance. I'm going to write that up here. If you remember, Repentance is a complete and thorough change of mindset about something in such a way that people act completely differently in the opposite spirit to their original actions. An example in Ephesians that Paul gives, it's always incredibly practical. It's what we do with our bodies. It's not ethereal or esoteric. It's not heavenly. It's how we host God in ourselves here on earth. Brilliant example, as he said, those who are stealing should steal no longer, but work hard with their hands and give generously to those in need. And that is a brilliant example of repentance. I put the word sorry up there with nice, in that it's no good someone who steals continue saying, oh, I'm so sorry. And there's no change. Biblical repentance looks quantifiably different. It looks so different that it, it, it could not be more different. The person stealing the liberating good news of the gospel, of what Jesus has achieved on the cross, is that old nature is crucified with him and we have a new nature, which means we can work hard and give generously to those in need. We see ourselves differently and we also see the person in front of us differently. And that is the gospel. That applies to us personally, but it also applies to us culturally. So I'm going to go through this passage again and apply cultural repentance to Nehemiah's example of how he led his people through a cultural repentance. 
First of all, what I really find striking about Nehemiah is he heard their outcry. It's very simple and very straightforward, but in the ancient world, totally radical. Leaders did not hear the outcries of the poor. That's the whole point. That's why Jesus had to come to realign us back to the horizontality before God as image bearers. And that's why Paul could say the dividing wall of hostility has been broken in Christ. There is no slave or free, Jew or Greek, male or female, we're all one. Because the hierarchies that, that absolutely defined the ancient dominant empires were broken in Christ. But pre-Christ, 400 years before Christ, Nehemiah, a governor, not only a leader in the line of Judah, so actually a royal line of the people of Israel, but also someone who was at the heart of the Persian court, the vastest empire the world had ever known at that time, heard the outcry of his fellow Israelites. And I think we're going to apply this directly to racial justice regarding the black community in both Britain and America. 90% of whom, by the way, in America identify as Christians. I learned through a conversation I watched this week. Our brothers and sisters in Christ as well as in humanity. So the first thing he did was he heard their outcry. And I think the first thing we have to do as white people who have white privilege is to hear the outcry And this isn't a general outcry, this is a very specific outcry from a specific group of people. The black communities in Britain and America, they are the ones crying out and wailing in distress and we need to hear their outcry. So that's what I'm going to put up first. And I'm going to be honest here, that's where I am. That's where I am. I'm not any further down. We're going to look at six ways that he brings about a repentance. And that's where I am. And I think that's where we all need to be for a very, very long time. When you listen to a group or an individual that's been systematically traumatised and abused over a very long time, you don't care how it's packaged. Okay? It, It won't come across easily or nightly, nicely or in pretty packages. We need to listen till we hear the raw truth and reality of what it's like to be black in Britain and America. We need to hear until we've really heard, and that will take a long time. The second thing that happened with Nehemiah is it said he got very angry I, I, I find it difficult that the, we're wiping out, we're eradicating, erasing the wrath or the anger of God from the Hebrew Bible because he got angry about injustice, because he's a God who cares. As a parent, if we don't get angry when our children are suffering trauma, we are not human. We are not fully human. There's something about the anger of God that is so powerful, that is so reassuring and comforting. We need to hear it and we need to see it. And we see here that Nehemiah got angry. I'm going to talk a bit now about emotional response. I listened to a hilarious, not hilarious, but it, it, was, it was good, it was helpful for me, podcast called Why White Women Crying is Racist. And it was brilliant about saying, this is not about us. Sometimes 
we might cry or we might have guilt. It's not about us. It's about listening to our black friends and colleagues about their story. There may be a moment in that where the Spirit of God comes upon us as Christians, filled with the Holy Spirit, and we weep. That is biblical. Jesus wept over a friend's death. He also wept over Jerusalem. The prophet wept over other people's pain. Nehemiah himself weeps at the beginning of Nehemiah and he gets angry now. But we have to keep making it about black people's stories, not our own. It's not our story. We're, we're listening all the time until we can really hear. The other thing I love about Nehemiah's listening is he gets to the heart of the issue. It's three particular issues. It's not general. It's not vague. I talked about this in purpose. It's smart. It's specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-bound. And I believe the Spirit of God is putting his heart on racial injustice, his finger on it now. And it's, it's tragic that it requires a global pa- pandemic. And then for me to see someone killed before my eyes as I watched George Floyd's murder, it's tragic that it gets to that level. But I believe he is putting his finger on it right now. And we will hear until we've heard three or four or two very specific things. It's not what Nehemiah thought the problem was. It's what the enslaved Israelites thought the problem was. They were highly articulate, they were intelligent, and he listened long enough through their distress to actually hear the very specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, time-bound changes they wanted making. So that's our first thing. And if if we're going along the, the five R's, it's called recognition. Now, while Nehemiah gives us a roadmap to the way through, I would say that the white community, white Christians in Britain and America, need to sit here for a very long time until we've really heard the specific issues and listen and listen and listen. Apparently, it takes someone five times saying, why, what do you mean by that, when you're having a conversation with someone, five times to really hear the one thing they're trying to say. So that's where we are, but Nehemiah gives us a brilliant roadmap right through to a cultural repentance. So I'm going to carry on because I think this is what the Spirit will do with us. And then thirdly, he pondered. Don't forget, he was in the middle of a divine plan to rebuild Jerusalem. He he mobilised people. He paid a great cost. He had this incredible momentum on his life. But he allowed himself to be completely interrupted by this moment. He was bold and courageous with demonic distractions. But he was utterly able and secure and confident to just pay attention to this divine interruption. Everything stopped for this moment where he saw the systemic injustice within the Israelite, within this new Jewish restored community. Everything stopped for this moment until it was resolved he, he knew rebuilding walls wouldn't mean anything. He couldn't, re, he couldn't work with his project, his God-given project, without this bigger picture being dealt with. And so he pondered. He heard what they said. He felt his anger and emotion. And then he sat on it. Because what he didn't want to do was sit around making it about him. He never once makes it about him. What he does want to do is think, how can we actually change this so that these Israelites aren't dying of starvation, aren't uh, unable to reap the benefits of their own produce and aren't selling their children into slavery. It's material, it's practical, it's legal, it's political, socio-economic. 
He wanted to deliver change at that level. He didn't make it about him, but he recognised he had power and he could use his power to, to move this hierarchy back to horizontality amongst the Jewish community in Jerusalem. I've put number four as interrupted. It can be either way around. It's the fact that we stop and we listen and we allow this process to take what it needs to take in order to resolve it. I would say that's repent. It's in that process where we listen, where we ponder, where we feel emotion, but we also allow ourselves to start to think, what can we do who have power and privilege to make that, to to share that and make that horizontal? What can we do? That's the, the beginnings of what actions can we take? So there's quantifiable material change. So we can look at the criminal justice system statistics. We can look at police custody statistics. We can hear stories of people who walk down the street and we know they are different to how they would be now amongst the black communities in Britain and America. That is the cultural repentance. And at this point, it's what can we actually do legally, structurally, economically, politically to enable that shift to take place. And then finally, he acts. He challenges the nobles and officials. There he identifies the exact source of the problem. There are a particular group of leadership, a particular group of people who have power, who are charging excessive interest on their fellow Israelites. As a result, those who don't have land are starving to death. Those who do have land can't access any of the fruit of their labour. And there are a group of people who are even having to sell their daughters into slavery. And he's found out what actually is going on, what system, what economic system is going on which is making that possible. And he goes right to the heart of the issue, charges that particular group of leadership, the nobles and officials, and says, this is not right. We know it's not right, it's prohibited in the Torah. No Israelite is to enslave another Israelite. If an Israelite gets into slavery through poverty, they are to be released every seven years. They know it's not right. It's not right for this community that's designed to show the world what a horizontal community is designed to look like under God in the presence of God, treasured by God. It's not right that he has fear of God and they don't. And they see it immediately. He, he challenges them. I'm calling this plan, act, accountability. He challenges them, not in a general, you're not very nice people, but in a very specific way, you're charging exorbitant interest. Don't do that. Give back what you've already stolen effectively through that charging of exorbitant interest and stop doing it. It's very specific. It's specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-bound. I'm going to say that again and again because I think that's how the Spirit of God deals with us. It's very specific. It's how the, the, the amount of interest they charge on loans to their fellow Israelites. That had to change. The motivation was greed. The motivation is the old human nature, which has been crucified with Christ. But the practice is specific and it's quantifiable. He has a plan. 
He acts by challenging them and then he holds them to account. There's accountability. And I'd say these last two points are replace. We've had a recognition in terms of going through the five R's. We've had a recognition. We've had a repentance. Change of mindset about how these Israelites should be treating each other. And we've had a replacement strategy. What are we actually going to do 400 BC between in the way we deal with each other economically in Jerusalem? And when then we're going to call people to account for that. I'm going to say now there's a wound in the body of Christ. And when you go with a wound, say you've been slashed on your, across your stomach, you don't think about how strong and good do you, your, right, your right arm doesn't need focus or attention. What we need to give attention to is this wound in the body of Christ, which is the systemic oppression of black communities in Britain and America. So we're focusing on this wound right now. That's what we're doing. And do you know why we're doing it? Firstly, it's the right thing to do. But secondly, and intimately linked with that, is sin never works. Sin is like a disease. If we leave a wound undressed, unattended to, or we try and put sicking plasters over it and not go to the root issue and bring the root treatment that will heal it, it will kill the whole body. I've seen that again and again and again because for a while I've been looking at ancient dominant empires. They have two things in common. They were built on injustice and they collapsed under the weight of it. We're actually designed to be just people. We're designed to serve one another. We're designed to release one another to greatness. That's true humanity. That's what Jesus brought in. And we would do well to take this opportunity to listen to ways we can do that in this context. Because if we don't, the whole body is contaminated and dying. This isn't just them out there or those people there, people I don't know. This is us. We're the body of Christ. We're a covenantal people and there's a wound in the body that needs attention. For those of you listening who aren't followers of Jesus, there's a wound in the body of humanity that needs attention. So the final replacement, that said, is not just we deal with this particular issue of racial injustice that manifests in the criminal justice system, but we go above and beyond. Nehemiah went above and beyond. He had power and he didn't use it for his own privilege. He used it to share it out with others and bring abundance and life and blessing to those around him. He, he twice, two or three times at the end of that chapter, he says how he uses his power to bless others and how he doesn't take extra that he could take for himself. So our replacement needs to be above and beyond. I genuinely believe, though, the good news of Jesus is if we do this, we can, we are authorised to see and bring healing. This is the good news of Jesus, is there's incredible hope. So firstly, in terms of what we're seeing perhaps seeing, recognising for the first time, how do we as people watching this now, people who are friends across 
Hope Community Church in this city and beyond. What is the first thing that the white community needs to do is we need to listen. I remember Marvin Rees saying a throwaway comment a long time ago. It's great, it just, just make friends who are black. It was a very simple throwaway comment, but as his comments tend to be, it's extraordinarily sharp. Because in a friendship, there's, no, there's nothing patronising, there's no over-deferential, there's nothing like that. We listen to one another. So let's start listening to our black friends. And I'm, I'm starting to say, actually, what is it like for you to be black and British? I don't mind how you say it. I don't mind what language you use. Please don't package it. I'm robust and resilient. You need to say it as you need to say it. And I want to hear until I feel you know and I know I've actually heard what it is like to be black and British or black and American. But maybe some of us have black colleagues. Some of us from multiracial families may have extended members of our family. Whatever it is, whatever context we're in, we need to listen for a very, very long time. So that's where we are now at Hope. This is a vision of cultural repentance, but we're at, we're at number one and number two. We're recognising at last after a very long time, and it's tragic that it takes this much to get here, but we're recognising that something is, that is wrong. It's wrong. We're recognising that there's something wrong with the way our systems are set up. And we're going to be processing together the other thing that Chris and I are doing, as well as listening personally to friends. We're also reading what we can. We're listening to podcasts. We're watching conversations, going where we can, following people on Instagram, black leaders and communities, black writers, just starting to listen to what they have already and always been saying. But we really just want to listen now. So we encourage people to do that. That's our step at Hope towards cultural repentance in this area, just like Nehemiah had a very specific instruction towards the nobles and officials who are charging interest. Our first step here at Hope is that we listen to those we know from the black community until we really hear. And then also we connect in with the wealth of intelligent, articulate, funny, smart resources that are out there. Books, podcasts, social media platforms... And we can hear, just listen to the narrative of what it feels like to be black and British or black and American at this time. And then, like Nehemiah, we will ponder on it and see what we can do. Having really heard what people want us to do and move forward together. I'm going to pray now. God, it's incredibly humbling the way you are so gracious. Contrary to popular opinion, you don't actually allow suffering. You always intervene. But you want to do, intervene through humanity getting it first before we have to collapse under the weight of our injustice. So you take a long time in human years. And we say we want to hear this moment now. We hear that you're interrupting us. We don't want to allow this suffering to continue. As a black bishop in America said, who I was watching last week, he said, if we judge ourselves, we don't need God to judge us. And we just say, yes, search us. And may we listen, because it's not about us. I pray you give us, in the white community, the grace to do that. 
and we just welcome those friends, colleagues, people we know or know of in the black community to speak because it is a time for us to listen and a time for black friends and family to speak. And I pray that we really hear what is actually being said, the smart, intelligent, articulate concerns and, and specific requirements that will change the system. May we hear and may we take as long as it takes so that we really know we've heard. And we trust you after that. We trust you after that for the game plan. But in the middle of it all, in the body of Christ, may we become friends. May we love one another in such a way that the world will see this is the good news of Jesus. This is why he came to die. In his death, both the oppressor and the oppression was crucified completely. And in his resurrection, a new kind of humanity was formed where that divine wall of hostility was fully broken and we could love one another deeply, sincerely, from the heart. Amen. Thank you, Alice. So um, that feels like this feels like this is the start of something, doesn't it? Something uh, big that's going on. So, yeah, again, we just agree with Alice's prayer. And we say, Lord, we're, your, we're, we're willing, we're, we're your church, and we, um, we say yes to your, your leadership. Amen. Great, we're going to finish our live stream there. Um, as usual, there's those uh, videos that we mentioned at the beginning for kids and youth. And do be in touch. Um, good to hear of people getting together in their fours as well, uh, which are our small, small groups, people who can walk together, and uh, whether WhatsApp or, or video or Zoom or a socially distanced thing is how you're managing to do that. I hope that's going well. And again, let us know if you're newer to Hope and would like to join in uh, with us more as a community. We'd love, we'd love that so much. All right, have a good week.